0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Sandy Springs, Georgia, it's time for In and On Business, brought to you by the Sandy Springs Perimeter Chamber. For more information, go to sandyspringsperimeterchamber.com. Now, here's your host.
1: Hello, everyone. This is In and On Business with the Sandy Springs Premier Chamber, where we explore the tension between executing on and innovating in your business. I'm your host, Adam Ferrand, and today I am joined by Casey Gaetano, who is the owner of Integrity Compounding Pharmacy here in Sandy Springs. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Glad you're here. For uh, our listeners, and even for you, Casey, just as a reminder, we talk about working in and on your business. We are talking about... Uh, When working in your business, we're referring to the work that enables the delivery of a fabulous service such as Integrity Compounding Pharmacy, or Remarkable Products. So what you're really known for, what the market and the community knows you as. And working on your business refers to the growth-oriented activities you undertake to ensure the sustainability and the viability of your business in the future. So we're going to dig into that, the difference between working in your business and working on your business. So let's just get to it, Casey. Great, let's do it. Your signature says owner. Why do you use the word owner in your signature and not something else?
0: So it really goes back in this entire conversation, I guess what we're going to be talking about in versus on business gets back to, I am the owner of a compounding pharmacy, but I am not a pharmacist. So there's never been one day in the history of our business where I could say it's either my way or the highway. I will be doing everything right. I will be checking this prescription and it will go out the door and that's just the way it is cuz I'm the you know the pharmacist in charge and that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so for me it's always been a tension of working in versus on because by law quite literally I cannot do all the parts of what working in our business would would mean. And so for for me And we still, I still talk about this in hiring all the time. I say the best part about our business is that I'm not a pharmacist. The worst part about our business is (laughs) that I am not a pharmacist Um, because it forces me to clearly delineate the things that I do versus what our team of pharmacists do. Right. And that's been basically the structure around which this conversation we'll be having today revolves around.
1: Yep. So using the word owner in your signature and only owner, right, sends the right signal.
0: Uh, Yeah. For me, well, a lot of, you know, everybody else, the, Most compounding pharmacies, the owners are are pharmacists. And so a lot of times it'll be PharmD this and what board certifications they have. And then either they're... Most of them are the pharmacists in charge. Some of them end up passing that off at at some point. But that's what it's hard to talk about. But for me, it's more on the business side of things Yep, um,
1: where it it does get to be working on the business. Yeah. and That's what's going to make this conversation great, right? Hopefully. Yeah. So we're going to focus on working in your business. So when working in your business what strategies or tactics have served you well so that you get the best out of yourself and or your team? So in terms of working in the
0: business, I got into compounding pharmacy when I was very young, 22, 23. And my job uh, at that time was basically to do all the stuff that nobody else wanted to do at the beginning. Right. So it's like some of it, I guess maybe in hindsight seems obvious, but I'd never thought about things like, how do you make sure that the trash people come pick up your trash once a week? (laughs) Somebody has to call them details. <laughs> make, details make these things happen, right? AT and T insurance contracts, all these stuff. So I, I kind of started there. Um, in terms of you know, as as we've gone forward, I've, I've held different, done different things in terms of in the business versus on, and and part of it's how you define those things. But I'm still very involved in a lot of purchasing. Very involved in our financial side of the business, mm-hmm. and even down to down to bill pay a lot of times. Um, very involved in putting. You know, all all of our orders together and sales and product development and all of this kind of stuff is where I tend to be more on, for me, involved in the business. Gotcha.
1: Okay. And so, uh, what's uh, many years later? Sure. Right. How old is Integrity? So, in our current form, it's basically been
0: the way that it is now since 2015. So, about eight years.
1: Yep. And so, you've grown to uh, a team of one, you. Yeah, well, I was never a team of one because I
0: couldn't be the pharmacist. But that's true. Uh, so we were when when I took over at Integrity, we had a team of I think five or six. Okay, um, and then so now we have a team of about thirty six. Wow. So it's different.
1: <laughs> it is. It's very different, right? Yeah. Um, what is the difference between as, as you were contemplating working in the business, right? And mm-hmm. um, in, in those early experiences and the, those finer details to where you are today? Um, what has been uh, the th- the through line? What has been the common thread in terms of your experience as it relates to uh, your focus? on delivering the service that integrity is known for.
0: Sure. So when you have six or five or four or two or one employees at a business, then basically when you're the owner, you're responsible for everything. Right. Uh, and that never changes when you have 36 employees or you have a thousand employees or a million employees. It doesn't matter if you're (laughs) the owner, you're still at the end of the day, responsible for everything. What changes is the fact that you can't do everything anymore. Right. Um, So there's a delegation side of that. And to me, one of the biggest parts is intentionality, which is, okay, if I don't think about this and I just try to respond to every email and phone call and employee that knocks on my door or whatever in the moment, um, it's very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So you have to try to think about in advance what are the things that you feel like you truly provide value add doing versus things that other people could do just as well of a job if given the right training that you're kind of doing. And to me, that's like really the, the ultimate question. And, and there are certain things as the owner that you probably can never, you never give off right um, to anybody else. You never want to delegate, but as time goes on because it's just the volume of requests, each individual task tends to just take longer and longer and longer because there's more. Right, And so you just are slowly working down this funnel to just, eventually deciding what is the one most important thing that if this was taking 40 plus hours a week for me to do, I would just only do this one thing. Yeah. I think, you know, for us and for me, I I always said that our, we would know our business was super successful if I could just sit in a dark room all day and just think about what we should be doing. Right. Um, you know, that's, I wish that was the case. It it happens in on the way to work and in the shower and while I'm brushing my teeth. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and all these types of things. Dimly lit. Yeah, not dark. Exactly. Um, But uh, yeah, I think um, yeah to answer your question, it's it's just kind of working that funnel of trying to figure out what's important and that only you can do it versus what's, what can be given to other people.
1: Yeah, And so uh, are there new systems or new protocols, new processes that uh, you're relying upon now that you didn't rely upon many years ago? Yeah, Or even last year, the last two years? Yeah, I, I, we're constantly
0: reinventing processes and all of that kind of stuff. I tell people in whenever I do interviews for hiring, I'm still very involved in the hiring process. I always say, if you don't like change, then don't say anything. Just get up and leave. <laughs> Just walk out the door. It's time to never go. never come back. Yeah. Never, don't, don't look back. It's don't all think good. about it. You're good. Yeah. Like, let's not do We're this. We're good, yeah. So constantly changing everything. Uh, but that's because I think it's very easy. It's very easy to understand that what works when you have five employees doesn't work when you have 50 and 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 definitely wouldn't work when you have 1,000 employees. Right. People understand right. that. Yep. What I think people don't understand is that what works at a thousand employees doesn't work at 50 and what works at 50 also doesn't work at five. It's actually bi-directional in terms of scale with different things. And so if you are a growing business, you can't like, you can't somebody that runs Coca-Cola or something can't just be like, Oh, well here are all of our processes for our hundred thousand employees. Like just institute these with your team of 30. It doesn't work. Um, and, and so, you know, you're constantly, as you go trying to reinvent things up and down, um,
1: as 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 it kind of comes, and and so in the face of new regulations, in the face of other regulatory um, constraints that you have, is is that born out of just the sector that you're in and, and the service you provide, or is that uh, that change? Um, does that come from within? Is it yeah. internal so this, or is it much really, external? This, this is a great question. Yeah. So uh,
0: so definitely being part of pharmacies and what we do in compounding is one of the most highly regulated parts of probably the the entire comp the t- entire economy. And there are certain rules about doing things like quality management meetings right. and standard operating procedures that we have to have by yep. law. Thank so goodness. That, th- right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the general public should be very happy that these <laughs> right. things are in place. Yes. Right. So we have to have some frameworks for those, for that, for that type of stuff as a business. But we try to carry that over into other things because again, kind of back to some of the scale stuff. When you're you know, two or three employees, a doctor calls in and says, hey, could you make this for me? Mm. And a lot of times if it's just maybe back in the day, that would be just me and a pharmacist. We sit there, we look at each other, we think about it <laughs> and um, decide whether we want to pursue that or not and what that would mean. But now you know, we have four or five salespeople out there doing it full time. We've got 10 to 15 people answering phones all day long. We've got a lot of people working in the lab. And so it's not just one question that comes in per week that we have to decide whether we want to do it or not, but there's 30 questions that are coming in per week about whether we should do things. And then, um, you know, we're trying to build out systems such that if one doctor, let's say one gastroenterologist, called in and asked about a particular product um, in April 2023, and I did three hours worth of research, and we decided whether to do it or not, Well, if another gastroenterologist calls in in April, 2024, Mm -hmm. we're trying to build out systems so that we don't have to like, we can remember what we said and what we did and how we did it. (laughs) Right. um, And all of that kind of stuff. And so we don't have to keep answering some of these same questions over and over again, because I I know that I've re sometimes I'll be halfway through researching something. I'm like, I've done this already. (laughs) Kind of like reading a book, you get three chapters in, you're like, wait a minute, I've read this book. Um, So we're, we're trying to build out those types of systems. And, and a lot of that to me is taking all the information that's in all of our pharmacists heads, right? My head and our salespeople's heads and putting that into some sort of, um, you know, procedure such that we can learn from each other. Right. And we can save that information over time.
1: Wow. So, um, to provide more context for the listeners, you would describe your environment as a high-mix, sort of low-volume environment, or do you work on a low-mix, high-volume in terms of the, uh, the pharmaceuticals that, that you compound for your clients? So in the, okay, so in the grand scheme of things,
0: um, we're kind of a little of both. Okay. So a regular retail pharmacy, like your corner, CVS, Walgreens,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Kroger, whatever, um, a busy store might process 500 prescriptions in a day, or a really busy store might process seven or eight hundred prescriptions in a day. Okay, and usually at most of those types of places, they're going to have one pharmacist on on, net, duty. On, a, on duty. Yeah, and then just depending on what their hours are, it might be split between two different people or one person working a, a like three or 412s or 410s or whatever the case might be. It just kind of depends on their hours. But a busy store would say do 500 to maybe 800 um, retail prescriptions in a day.
1: Okay, Um, Non-compounded pharmaceuticals.
0: Non-compounded. That's just where they're... Off the shelf. They're they're off the shelf. You know, there's antibiotics and blood pressure medications and all these things. Okay, so... And and one to two pharmacists might be able to cover that for a day just depending on exactly how that's set up. Um, We have 13 pharmacists that work just in... Atlanta and we only do about two hundred and fifty to three hundred compounds gotcha a day. okay so each one of the, are basically every single compound is just a lot more work mm-hmm. than a particular commercial product, and that's on a couple of different for a couple of different reasons one um, we have to make it, so right. there's that whole making it um, component to it and then two based on the types of work that we do at your regular Retail pharmacy at CVS or whatever. Every patient that walks in the door, most of the time, it's a refill, and they're on the same blood pressure medications and the same things month over month over month. Now, obviously, that's going to be a little bit different. You get sick, you get an antibiotic, steroid, whatever. Okay, but a lot of times, you know, you have your CVS, and you've been going there for the last eight years because it's the one that's most convenient to the house, and they yeah. give you good service and whatever. Yeah. Um, for us, it's a lot of new patients, and not only is it new patients, it's new patients that don't know what a compounding pharmacy is. And depending on how that conversation went with their doctor, or their nurse, they might not even know why they got prescribed a compound. Gotcha. And so it's a lot more work on the front end. We're getting payment. Insurance doesn't cover most of what we do. Um, so a lot of times it's cash pay. So it's explaining that whole process to right. them and then it's got to be made. And then it's got to be in most cases shipped to the patient. Sometimes they do pick up, but we, we probably ship about 90% of what, what we make. Wow. Um, so, so then you've got that and then you've got what pharma does. So, mm-hmm. Or in hospitals, a little bit different, but you've got what pharma does. Pharma runs these massive batches that are going to go towards thousands and thousands, and if not tens of thousands of people in a single batch. Right. That's very traditional manufacturing. Whereas when we're doing it, a lot of times we're making batches of one. So we do a lot of one of ones. Okay. So it's very time and labor intensive to just make that single compound that's going to make a specific difference for for an individually identified patient. Right. Um, So it's a very like, it's a. It's kind of, we're, we're in the middle of all these, all these different things that are kind of going on. Some things we do batch for up to maybe a, a, a few hundred patients, um, but a lot of things, about almost half of, probably over half of what we do is one of ones.
1: Gotcha. And so your primary relationship is both with the physician and the customer, uh, the ultimate patient, right? Who is ultimately the customer who received this. Specialty correct. Combination. So, so we
0: um w- the slogan that I, I made up was uh our patients are our patients and our doctors are our customers. So gotcha. okay. the, the patients are very important to us. Absolutely, that's ultimately, who's paying the bills, right? Um, and that's who's getting the medication, and that's who we want to get better if that's the case, or maintain whatever they're trying to maintain, depending on what it is. So they're very important to us. We you know think very highly of that relationship between us and our patients but our sales and marketing are geared toward the doctors of those patients such that you know if if you are a particular patient you go into your doctor you know it might be that 98 out of 100 people need one thing but when that doctor realizes that you are in the two out of 100 they think a compound and b integrity compounding pharmacy so that's what we work with a lot of times, a lot of salespeople is that, it's that two part sale. It's yeah. like when to use a compound. And if you are going to write a doctor or write a compound doctor, please send it to integrity versus some, you know, what other choices that you would have.
1: Yeah. So does that, uh, culturally speaking at integrity, does that phrase your patients are your patients and your doctors are your customer? Is that imbued in, in every part of, of the work that you do?
0: I, I think it is. um, and I, I, always, and I, I always catch myself saying, I, I never want to diminish the work that our customer service and patient services team do with our patients. Right. But from a strategy standpoint, right. maybe my job, yep, um, that's who I'm thinking about. Um, is is why doctors would write compounds, or we don't always work with doctors. Sometimes it's with hospitals. Sometimes it's with other pharmacies that are outsourcing different things. Whatever, right? Okay. Um, but that's who I'm thinking about is those people as being the people that are trying to. Prescribe something or to handle something that they don't want to do themselves, and therefore they want to use us for that service.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant! You know, the the question of differentiation across compounding pharmacies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is the question I was headed towards, but you answered the question in terms of that ethos that is integrity compounding, right? It is acknowledging the difference between uh, those whom you serve and, and how you serve them differently, and, and why you serve them differently.
0: I think that's that's right. Most compounding pharmacies grew out of independent retail pharmacies, and then they started doing compounding, and so for those places the customers are their patients it's one and the same right right because they what they've realized in a lot of those cases was that they had a captive audience of two three five thousand patients that are coming there to pick up their regular medications and it's like okay if we just start doing compounding for this sliver of patients and doctors that already know us it's just you know a value add service that we can make some money off of and sometimes that grows and grows and grows and the next thing they know they can it can be a standalone compounding pharmacy but it it never typically loses the roots of the patients and customers being the same people. And that's what their marketing is geared toward They're yeah. doing Facebook things. And, <laughs> it, you know, social media is more important to, to them than it would be to us and all that kind of stuff. But for us, you know, I, I, I really do think that a lot of our job is to make our doctors look good. Yeah. I, I, I want right. my whole goal is that the patients not necessarily go tell me that we did a good job with our compound, but that they go to their doctor and they, they go back to their doctor and say, wow, that recommendation you made was mm-hmm. great. The company took great care of me and it worked. And thank you, doc. That is more where we are geared toward than just that individual relationship between us and the patient.
1: Awesome. So beyond that mantra, how do you get the best out of your people on a, on a day-to-day basis? Do we have like seven hours?
0: Uh, we do not. We do <laughs> no, not. That, I think that's it's very difficult. Seven question. minutes? How yeah, about that? No, right? Uh, no, that's 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 it's such a challenging question. I think it's the question. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of building an organization, is how do you get the best out of your people? Because ultimately, all of the the words and the things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still human beings that are that have to do all of those things. Right. And so, yeah. I think it it really is the ultimate question. To me, the answer that to that question because it is so hard is to try and simplify it mm. and what that means to me is if the our company aligns on is like one on one axis right the patient's professional life is a second axis and their personal goals and ambitions mm. in life is a third axis okay if those three things intersect what i've typically found is that most problems just kind of take care of themselves because everybody's incentives are aligned like right. if it makes sense for them professionally and personally to have this job and what they do and what they bring to the table is a good fit for Mm -hmm. what we are looking for in that particular role. Yep. Then typically any sort of personal issue or lack of motivation or don't it kind of just all falls away. Whereas when those three things aren't lined up all of a sudden, but they don't like this one policy on that. And they didn't like the, the, like it's just like the things come out of the woodwork and it's all because there's an inherent tension and that it's just not the right fit at the right time for that for the for that particular person. Yeah. So I think about that a lot, um, in terms of just trying to line those three things up. Um and that therefore basically solving
1: the problem before it can become a problem. Right. Because everything just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly hard to assess, though, in an interview process, right? Very. Um, and, and, and maybe you can speak to it, or your managers, your hiring managers speak to that in terms of that alignment and and certainly that ethos by which you guys operate. Um, but assessing that through a hiring process is incredibly difficult. So you're probably putting the onus on the candidate themselves. Yeah. I, I, look, you're never going to get it right 100% of the time. No.
0: Um, I think the the number that I read most recently was like, if you can be successful in hiring 70% of the time, you're absolutely knocking it out of the park. Yeah, and even 50%, it. you can be happy there. Yeah, um, So I think, and I think um, we've gone through ups and downs with hiring. We've had times when it felt like every single hire we were making was just the right person, just the right time. And then there's been other times where it's like, okay, we hired six people in the last three months and neither none of them are still here. It's been only three months. Uh, so we, we've kind of gone through both of, of, of those of those things. And I think the biggest the times when we make the most mistakes are when we are desperate. Mm. And that's either because we have a job that we just have to fill yeah. or right. because something happens or whatever the case might be. And we, I almost always look back at it and I'm like, yeah, we made that decision because we were desperate. Yeah, And so we try to stay ahead of it. That keeps us out of being desperate, mm-hmm. but that brings us into this other Thing that's kind of important called the budget. Uh, you know, <laughs> ah, you, it'd be great to have a an extra person at every position, uh, but that's not how it works. Um, and so you try and balance those things the, the best that you can. But yeah, it's it's hard in the in the interview process. So you know we we try to see we try to select for people that like change, that are motivated, that are curious, that are um that honestly the, the question that to me matters the most in an interview process is why do you want this job like when people have trouble articulating that, that to me is probably the biggest red flag because yep. we're, we're a niche company, right? We're a compounding pharmacy, right? There's not that many. Um, and when people can't articulate why they would want to work at a compounding pharmacy, to me, that's kind of a, a red flag for like, have you done any thought or, or are you putting like any thought into your personal goals and life and- right any research at all into, into any of this stuff so when people are able to well articulate in a way mm-hmm. that to me makes sense of why they want this particular job that's such a green light to keep talking Absolutely. to that person
1: it, it goes to motivation right across those three axes sure yeah and and while they can never meet the same motivation you have as the owner and the leader and the founder um, if they're getting close Right, then, yeah. then you've got you've you've got an indication that there's something there
0: for sure, and you know we are in healthcare, so um, obviously I am the, the the owner of the company, so you know there is a financial component to that on on all axes, um, but a lot of people got into healthcare because they want to help people, yeah. and that's really important too. Yes, it is. Um, so we try to make our company a place where people can help people if that's what they wanted to do. And the most common reason that pharmacists will move from like from big box retail to integrity, at least on the patient services and customer service side is because based on the the nature of the business where at CVS, they might have 30 seconds to spend with a patient. A lot right. of times we try to give them the space to spend 15 minutes with that patient mm-hmm. and actually trying to get in there and help them and do, do all that stuff. And I think they, they do find that rewarding. I think also uh, when a lot of the retail pharmacists feel like doctors um, don't always respect them professionally as much as they mm, would, okay. but, and I almost have to like untrain that out of them because when they come over to our side on the compounding side, those same doctors are calling because they have real questions. They, don't, right. they know that they want something, but they don't know exactly how to write it. Yeah. And so they're, those pharmacists are like, wait, a doctor hasn't really asked for my opinion about something in five <laughs> years. And all of a sudden they start to ask me of my opinion all the time. I actually, I really got to double down and know this stuff because all, my opinion is valued here because the, the doctors need help getting what they need. And that's, that's kind of what we're trying to, to, to be able to, to be set up to do.
1: Yeah. That's fabulous. So I'm going to transition to the working on your business. Sure. The whole thing we were supposed to talk about. Yeah, no, we got the <laughs> end part. We got a great <laughs> dose of the end part yeah. and there was some absolutely fabulous stuff in there. Um, on the on part, you and I were talking earlier before uh, this broadcast, this recording that uh, you know where you are with 35 or so employees, right? Um, and you think about the, the viability and the, the sustainability and perhaps the scalability of integrity compounding, um, where are you in that working on the business part? So you mentioned uh, you know, some of the things that you're trying to delegate, that you do delegate, some of the things that you're in the mix on in terms of the operations mm-hmm. at Integrity, uh, but when you think about hiring new people and the prospect of hiring new people, or you think about systems development uh, within your organization that may take uh, certain tasks Away from others, um, and perhaps automate them. Like, what does the future look like when you think about when I'm going to, you're going to switch that gear, change that gear until I'm working on my business now? What does that look like right now for you?
0: Um, So, a couple different things. Um, You know, at at its roots, pharmacy is a scale business. Meaning, and and in healthcare, a lot of things are not great scale businesses because people are getting paid for their time. Right? When we're on the pharmacy side of things, we're not getting paid for our time. We're getting paid for Prescriptions going out the door, which it naturally leans, lends itself towards being a scale business. Right. In addition to that, with compounding, very high fixed costs compared to most mm-hmm. um, pharmacy operations. Um, just because it is a you know at the end of the day, it's a very small batch manufacturing facility. Um, and the the actual costs of the drugs that we're using to compound our typically quite low as a percentage of what that product looks like. So from that reason, you know, I always think about compounding as a very scalable business on most axes. The hard part to scale is actually the institutional knowledge Mm. of how to do everything correctly and how to sell it and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when I think about working on the business from a like a sales and actual production standpoint, a lot of that is working on processes that will build institutional knowledges uh, institutional knowledge across employees, um, such that, you know, as you grow, you got 10, 12, 15 pharmacists, you're gonna have different people there every day. Can you still do everything you need to do when two or three employees are out? Um, and then in terms of sales, you know, do all of those salespeople know? what they need to be saying in front of doctors and then that coordinating with the patient services folks. So you never want it where a salesperson goes into a doctor's office and says, Hey, this is how to prescribe this. They, the doctor does it exactly that way. They get a call back from the pharmacist saying, you didn't do this right at all. And then they look, turn around, look at the salesperson. Like, what did you tell me? (laughs) Um, so everybody's got to be on the same page, uh, with all that stuff. And so I do think about that, um, from a process standpoint, you know, we do that. Um, we tend to hire younger pharmacists, generally speaking, um, so there's a lot of learning and training to be done there, right? Um, but that's where we do a lot of meetings and a lot of internal teaching and internal learning about how to do all this stuff, and then try to put it together in a way that it's actually written down and saved, such that anybody can go back and find our notes on a lot of these things, yeah, okay. um, and kind of and kind of build on that. Um, with with di- other types of processes, I mean, it's kind of the same thing on the other side of things. There's all the different parts of running a business: there's invoicing, there's Right. Yeah. You know, payables, receivables, purchasing, inventory, all of these types of things. And again, that's just, to me, I spend a lot of time trying to think about processes such that somebody else could do what I have been doing or what somebody else, you know, somebody else has been doing. And then if that person were to left, were to leave, yep. okay? Yep. And we had to rehire for the, the next person. Mm-hmm. How long would it take them to figure out how to do the job? Because right. if it takes two years to figure out how to do purchasing, that's not going to work right. because that's not necessarily a job that you're going to keep somebody for the rest of their life um, doing. And we, we need to have it done in a way such that somebody new would be able to come in and figure it out, right? Um, and so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is trying
1: to build those processes. Yeah. And so does that documentation that uh, that memorializing of institutional knowledge? Does that is, is that a uh, uh, really, just a hard transcript of uh, documentation of conversations. Are you recording audio conversations? Are you recording them in video? How are you capturing this huge amount of knowledge that yeah, you have?
0: So a lot of it is—it's mostly written. So, okay. so we, as a pharmacy, we have to have written SOPs on a lot of things, and that's where a lot right. of things will start. But then a lot of times we will make basically reference documents okay. with instructions,
1: supplemental that, documents. supplemental
0: documents yep. that kind of just walk you through doing it. The right way, almost. Yeah. And so, for instance, with purchasing, I I know that they just added a yesterday. They added a box that could be checked, so that somebody with an iPad can just have the iPad and know where they are in the in the doing it and all. The, but it, it sounds really simple that we just added a check mark check mark to yeah. the document. Right. But it it's allowing people to basically figure out across hundreds of different SKUs what we need to purchase on a weekly basis without constantly getting lost in the middle of what they're doing. It was so simple. It's like, why did we not do this five years ago? Um, But uh, it's, it's little things like that. And then, you know, that document now it's made, whoever's doing purchasing now might move on. Somebody else comes in. Well, that little, that little check marks not going away. And so it's going to help the next person too, even though it's weird. Like institution, I think institutional knowledge is something it's kind of fascinating to think about. Yes, but like, nobody's going to talk to that person nope. about the times before <laughs> the
1: checkmark. <laughs> the check <box>. yeah,
0: right? <laughs> like, they're just always going to know that the checkmark, what the checkmark's for, and why it exists, and how it keeps you from getting mixed up when you're in the middle of things. Um, and so, those are the types of things that you 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 build on these process. You just iterate over and over times thousands of different things, yep. and that's to me is how you. You know, ultimately build an organization.
1: Yeah. So you've got regulatory requirements in, in terms of SOPs and documentation, and then you add on really what makes integrity unique and special from an operational standpoint. Do they live in the same place? Do they live on the same platform? Or do you have separate platforms? I'm curious, like, what does this look like yeah, we, we keep everything. we keep everything on Dropbox. Yes. Um, shout out for Dropbox. Sorry. Yeah. I
0: guess sure. Shout, yeah.
1: shout out for Dropbox.
0: <laughs> uh, so we we really keep everything on Dropbox in okay. different folders yeah. and different things and almost everything. I mean, there's a couple things that I keep in private Dropboxes and HR files and stuff like that. Yeah. But for the most part, any document that has to do with anything for our company, somebody could just look up on their first day of work and yep. just be like, huh. I guess, cool. that, I guess that's the invoice that we sent to this doctor six years ago. Yeah, um, and it's that institutional like that.
1: knowledge that is absolutely critical for your future success, particularly when you think about working um, on your business and scaling your business. Sure. Right? Um, that that stays with the organization and it's not lost with the individual as, yep. as they make a transition out. So, and I, yeah, I, I think that's right. And so, I guess
0: in terms of the on the business stuff, I, I think. I could divide it almost into like internal strategy and external strategy. Right? Like what, like internal strategy is all about processes and how we move the pieces around the chessboard and who should be doing what and how we should be doing certain things and, and all that stuff. And then the external strategy is all about how do we present ourselves, what's our brand, do we do we know our brand, mm-hmm. the doctors know our brand, do our own employees know what our brand is, right? right. Um, you know, then and obviously sales. It, is the next step down that and just trying to understand okay do we want to get involved in allergy compounding do we not want to get involved in allergy compounding do we want to do fertility do we not want to do fertility and if we do those things what does it mean for the rest of the way the business works yeah moving Al- forward the allergy doctors typically like typical turnaround time on a lot of the stuff in the industry is 4 to 6 4 to 6 weeks wow. sometimes in our fertility and genetics program they want if they call it 5 they want us to ship it at 525 so you know, how do you have an organization that can handle these big batch runs for allergy on this hand, Right. but then the second a reproductive endocrinologist calls in and wants a fertility med, everybody drops what they're doing and make sure it gets out the door that day. Yep. Those yep. are two conflicting things. So how do you run, like, process these side by side right. so that you can do both things? Or can you do both things? Should you pass on one? Right. Um, yeah. Or can you do both? What, what similarities do they have? What differences do they have? Um, that's uh, to me. That that is the essence of working on the business.
1: Which in in many cases, and, and you know this well too, across different sectors, different verticals, that ability to be nimble and agile, and serve a customer's need, and prioritizing those customers sure. appropriately is is really where uh, uh, the the greatest challenges, right? Um, and shifting gears, and, and doing a fire drill if someone calls at five o'clock and know it's gonna. Hit the, hit the dock by 5.25, right? I get, I get pushback
0: all the time from our employees like, Casey, you cannot promise people that we're going <laughs> to ship things at 6 o'clock if they do not send it to us until 5.50. And my response to that is always, when we made the decision to be a compounding mm-hmm. pharmacy for genetics patients and for mm-hmm. IVF patients, we made the decision that we will try our absolute best to do it. If we're not there is no doing it there's no for me right. there is no doing fertility and genetics without the prob the the end of the day problems yep. and, the, and the immediate things either yep. you're in or you're out right we made the decision to be in and that means if it means if we're it in. is it is if it is physically possible we are going to try to do it and Absolutely. we made that decision years ago and so that's what we have to stick why and I think it's one of those things that employees like it one of the reasons I like new employees, things like that. They're just like, Oh, okay. And then they keep going. Yeah. The, your, your people that come over and work in other jobs for 10, 20 years that it takes a little bit longer until they get the buy-in and understanding of, okay, sure. that is the way we're going to have to do this one particular thing. Yep. Even though I understand that it makes it less efficient. And I understand that it's a pressure at the end of the day. And if we don't, double, triple, quadruple, check it real Mm -hmm. quick. It theoretically could lead to mistakes. And we we understand all that stuff, but we try to put the guide rails on to respond to it because we
1: made the decision to do it five years ago. Right. And we're all in on it. Yep. And you're maintaining that commitment through and through. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Casey, you lead a group for us here at the Sandy Springs Primer Chamber, uh, that I, uh, it's got many names, but I'm going to just call it a mastermind group. Sure. Cause I think that's the most successful. I never use term. the same name twice. So good. <laughs> we'll go with mastermind. So you've got a front row seat to a lot of other business leaders who are challenged with particular aspects of their running their business, uh, scaling their business. Um, and so you've received advice and counsel sure. from those folks. Uh, you've also provided that as well. Uh, as it relates to working in and on your business, what advice would you give our listeners uh, and how to best balance that? Um,
0: I guess the advice that I would give uh, is that it is a balance. It's never going to be all one way or all the other way. Yeah. One of the things that I think is most important for understanding your business is at least at the beginning, sometimes it's doing your own books. Like I, mm-hmm. When I talk to business yeah. owners that outsourced that function from day one and didn't, didn't happen to come out of like accounting or right. some other job where they had to understand how to do that, and they outsource it from day one, I'm like, how could you? I don't understand, personally, how you can understand your own business without doing your own books, at least for a little while. That's fair. And so, again, w- would my counsel be, do your own books for the rest of your life, even when it's taking <laughs> 80 hours a week just to do the books by yourself? No. But I think there's there's parts of it that you have to just do yourself um, at the beginning, even though it's inefficient. Right. Um, right. It's the whole point is that it's inefficient because you got to learn it. Um, and so again, as that's why I talk about it as like a concept of a funnel because at the beginning you have to do everything yourself you basically. Do. Yeah. Um, and then you can start either outsourcing it or you start hiring for it. Right but everything at the the beginning is this giant funnel. And so you've got to start slowly working that funnel down in terms of what you're going to concentrate on and what you're going to try and either delegate or outsource. Um, but my, I guess my one piece of advice was you can't go too hard in either directions because you do have to truly understand being in your business. Right. And I, right. I, I, and I like, you know, our pharmacists that, that have, that no longer work necessarily in workflow all the time. I always tell them that they've got to be in workflow at least mm. once in a blue moon so that they understand, they can still remember what the pharmacists that are in workflow are looking at. Right. So when they're building the processes to help the work people in, to help the people that are in workflow, they remember yep. what workflow feels like. And right. I, yep. I feel the same way for myself, granted, not on the pharmacist side for me.
1: No.
0: Um, but still, like occasionally answering a phone call or dealing with an angry patient and mm-hmm. understanding why they're upset mm-hmm. is not the worst. Thing to have to get your hands dirty in um, in order to like, truly understand the strategy of what you should be doing. Right. So, so again, it's, it's kind of that balance. If, you, if yeah. you go too far out, you start to lose touch a little bit with exactly what your company is.
1: Well, and what you should be doing changes. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't have to be the most efficient thing all the time. It does not. Not if you've made that commitment, right? You've made that commitment to your customers, to your patients, to a community to an organization, and then on behalf of all your employees as well, right? I, th- I think that's right. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Casey, uh, share a little bit about where potential customers and patients might be able to find you. Sure. So we're,
0: we're over, um, at, uh, off of Dumwoody Place. So we're North Sandy Springs. Um, feel free to call the pharmacy, drop by the pharmacy. Um, we do try to get to doctors in terms of, of getting, but if you're a patient that, that, is uh, either on compounded medication or has questions about compounded medication. Please feel free to call the pharmacy. Find us on Google. Our website is mixwithintegrity.com. That's probably the best way to start. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 honestly the it's old school. It's calling people don't people don't call anymore. But they, in our <laughs> in our businesses, there's like so many uh, exceptions and nuances and this and that and the other thing that it's very difficult to automate down to like different yeah. things. So we just prefer people to call us and just say what their problem is, and we'll try and respond the best we can. Yeah,
1: what's the number? 404-815-1610. And I can say, I've been to your pharmacy before. The place is buzzing with phone calls. So <laughs> it is. I, I know they call. <laughs> they do. It is old school, right? <laughs> it is. it with integrity.com is great. But when you have the question and you want to talk through it... That's, that's, the, that's definitely the way to go. That's the best way. Casey Gaetano, owner of Integrity Compounding Pharmacy... Appreciate you being here today. Appreciate your leadership in our community as well. And thanks for these uh, wonderful insights on uh, how you can and should be working in and on your business. Thanks, Adam. This was fun. I Enjoyed it. Thanks, Casey. Yep.
0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Sandy Springs, Georgia. It's time for In and On Business, brought to you by the Sandy Springs Perimeter Chamber. For more information, go to sandyspringsperimeterchamber.com. Now, here's your host.